0: Sermon audio is the presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. I begin with a quick story. I'm not sure if it's true, but it was about a man who was convicted of, or uh, was being on trial for murder, and uh, he managed through his attorneys to communicate with one of the jurors, and bribe one of these jurors to try to convince the rest of the jury um, to instead of a sentence of guilty of murder, uh, a lesser sentence of manslaughter. And um, after long deliberation, the jury uh, finally did um, uh, pass the sentence. Uh, The man was guilty of manslaughter, and many years later, as the uh, convicted man had an opportunity to speak with this juror that he had bribed, he asked the juror, was it difficult to convince everyone else on the jury? And the juror said, oh yes, it was very difficult, it took me the whole time that we were deliberating because in fact all of them had wanted to, were ready to vote not guilty. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know how much truth there is to that, uh, but there is certainly corruption in the world and uh, bribery and corruption. I'm sure many of you have lived in countries or visited places where corruption is much more than it is here in Denmark. Uh, I grew up in Indonesia, we saw corruption and bribery all the time. Uh, I'm sure many of you know that uh, uh, bribery and corruption reach even some of the highest levels. Uh, You have corruption in football, you have corruption uh, in the Olympic Committee, you have corruption in governments. Um, Sometimes there's so much that we just kind of take it lightheartedly, right? But bribery and corruption really do um, not only exist, but really do affect uh, people seriously, And it can be uh, even very damaging as even lives are lost as people cut corners and uh, buildings are built uh, without the right uh, code. And what do we do in situations when all of these people are successful with what they do but only because of corruption, only because of bribery? Oftentimes uh, we get frustrated with it, Uh, we get angry, Uh, we wish things could be different, and we ask sometimes God, uh, why do good things happen to bad people? Uh, Sometimes the question for us is not just why do good things happen to bad people, but why do bad things happen to good people, like ourselves of course, right? And so, um, one of the things that we receive from the truth of the Psalms is wisdom. And uh, today as as we look at Psalm 37 in our uh, study of the book of Psalms, uh, several songs of the summer, what we see here is a song that was written really to give instruction. And in many ways uh, helps us also deal with this question, why is it that good things are happening to bad people? Um, It's very natural for us to respond in the ways that this psalmist, uh, David, is writing, uh, and he's also encouraging us not to respond in the way that's most natural or most typical of us, um, teaching us instead to respond how we ought to, as men and women of God who trust and wait upon the Lord. Psalm 37, if you'll turn with me, Um, to uh, this psalm. I want to also let you know that uh, this psalm is actually written as an acrostic. So, groups of verses or stanzas in the psalm, there's 22 of those stanzas and each beginning with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So, really each one of these stanzas could stand on their own. There's so much truth and wisdom in just one of these stanzas. It's It's a little bit like if you like chocolate truffles. You know, you can eat one of them and it's just really delicious, but if you try to eat the whole box of 22 of them, you know, you kind of like, oh, I've had way too much now, right? Even if you like chocolate truffles, having 22 of them is a little bit overkill. Um, Well, each one of these stanzas is packed with truth. Um, we're not going to be able to really unpack every one of them, or we could be here till next Sunday, and I'm sure that you wouldn't want to do that. Um, But so, just be aware that when David has written this psalm, uh, there's certainly more than 22 verses, but there are with each stanza uh, it begins with, a di- with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and uh, at least in some translations, like the NIV, you can see the breakdown of each of these because there's paragraph breaks in them. I don't know which translation you're using, but at, in the NIV you can see each of these, and, and as you read these, uh, perhaps it's more helpful um, to just take one stanza at a time and meditate on it, but I will try my best to be really quick uh, to go through at least four of the ways that we tend to respond in our natural ways. And then the encouragement at the end will be to hopefully respond in a supernatural way, not as most of us would respond in our flesh. And so as we read these verses, I want you to note especially the contrast that David makes between the righteous people and the wicked people, those who will inherit the land and those who will, will instead perish or be cut off from the land. So there's four things we want to avoid doing, things that we're more likely to do, because they come very naturally to us when we see good things happening to evil people. And then instead of doing that, let's learn what David is, is instructing us to do. But beginning in verse 1 and 2, let's take that first. He says, "'Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass they will soon wither, like green plants they will soon die away.'" So, when you look around, and you see evil people prospering, sometimes when we see that they can do whatever they want, the fact that they still live at ease, the the fact that they have power and that they use it to do mischief, sometimes we can be envious. We look around and we begin to look inside of ourselves and we want to enjoy what they enjoy. So sometimes we wish we could shake off the restraints of conscience like they do. And David is saying here, do not be envious of those who do wrong, because instead we're supposed to look forward in time at their future, because they do have ruin in store for them. God will intervene supernaturally, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, for by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces, from heaven He will thunder against them, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Notice that this is future speak. In the present, we see injustice, we see bribery, we see corruption, we see good things happening to bad people, but we should look in the future, and God will wait sometimes until the judgment day. It is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So, there's no need to envy them. That's the first caution. There's no need to envy them because their prosperity is temporary. Look instead at the opposite of what happens to those who are righteous, verse 16 and 17. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous." See if God were to consider that money and wealth, the prosperity that some of these evil people are enjoying, if God were to consider this the best that the world can offer, well then you and I as His saints, His people, would be the wealthiest in the world. But God doesn't consider money as the best that this world can offer. As D.L. Moody has once said, getting riches brings care, keeping them brings trouble, abusing them brings guilt, and losing them brings sorrow. It is a great mistake to make so much of riches as we do. No, the Lord doesn't give us riches necessarily, because better is the little that the righteous have than the wealth of the many wicked. Instead, we should be pursuing contentment We should be content to have at least our shelter and our food, because Jesus, our Lord and Savior, promised us not to worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, He said, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you." See the prosperity of those who are righteous. Is a result of God's special love and care and generosity. And when He does bless us financially, then He also blesses us with the permission to enjoy it. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 19 and 20, wisdom from the preacher says this, moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. See, rather than envy, we should have contentment with what God has given us because God grants us pleasures of life that are lasting, not pleasures of life that are only temporary. Pleasures like relationships and faith-growing experiences. Pleasures like having peace and sleep because earthly treasure gets destroyed but heavenly treasure lasts forever." So when evil, pro- evil doers prosper, don't be envious is the first set of instructions here. And then if you look at verse 7 through 11, he says, "'Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil.' For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. In a little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace." So what's David saying here? Instead of being envious, don't envy, but he's also saying don't get angry that some of their schemes are successful. See their influence may be far-reaching. Yes, these people may be very popular, they may have a lot of followers, they may have a lot of likes on their posts, their values and decisions may impact huge numbers of people, even nations. But for everyone, this fact is true, that one out of every one person will die, okay? Statistically, one out of every one person will die. So even within years, maybe sometimes decades, these people will be forgotten. And David says, do not fret. The Hebrew word here for being angry is the idea of getting hot in the nose. You know, anger here has the sense of burning or being kindled. The Lord's anger can be kindled as well. And the English word fret I find interesting because it means really to agitate or irritate, to gnaw at. Do you realize that a river can fret at its banks? I didn't realize that. You know, or that um, acids can fret at strong metals? It's a corrosive, and this reaction we have when people are successful by doing evil may cause us to be angry on the inside, and that anger, that bitterness can really corrode us from the inside, can burn up ourselves on the inside and stir us up and get excitable because we don't like what we see and we want to do something about it. But David here says, do not fret when the evildoers prosper, and instead of doing, of fretting to do the opposite, to be still before the Lord, wait patiently for Him. You know the opposite of being angry is being meek? Yeah, maybe you didn't know that. But the opposite of being angry is to be meek. Meekness isn't weakness, as many of you know this, but meekness is having strength under control. Rather than bursting out and getting excitable, is even if you are wanting to burst out and get excitable, you have this disposition that says, I will wait on the Lord. He will be my justice." And meekness is then just simply yielding all of your rights to God. Um, You know, usually we get angry or frustrated when someone else um, impedes what we would like to get accomplished. We have a particular agenda, we have something we have in mind to do, but they end up conflicting with that. For example, we want to get a good night's rest, but then our neighbor chooses to have a party. We feel it's a right of ours to have peace and quiet, especially after 11 p.m. Well, so we get angry and frustrated because something that was planned for us to do we can't accomplish. Or for example, we, get expe- we expect to get paid for work that we render and then perhaps our employer gets delayed in paying us or has a difficult time making the transfer or, you know, all kinds of things that we expect this to be in our bank account by then and it isn't, so we get angry. Or we want to be first in line so we don't have to wait as long as everyone else, and someone else cuts into the line, right? We have a right to that space right there. That was my space, and yet someone else took it instead of mine. Well, those kinds of things, if we have yielded our rights to those things and said to the Lord, Lord, you know, here's my agenda, here's what I would like to accomplish today, but if I don't get any of it accomplished, I will take that as simply Your will for my life. And maybe instead of getting frustrated, I will acknowledge that this was maybe your plan for me today that I didn't realize about about it. So instead of getting angry that the plane was delayed, maybe there's someone that the Lord wanted me to meet. And that means the only way I can have that disposition is if if I have truly yielded up my rights that day and said, this agenda is my desire, but it is not my demand. So once you have yielded those rights to the Lord, then you can endure those hardships with confidence that the Lord is working out something good in this case. And it may be in us humility that we need, maybe love for others, maybe it's joy, maybe it is peace despite the war that's going on next door. So, yield your agenda to the Lord is simply what meekness is, and He says um, that uh, we are to refrain from anger because that only will, turn, will, will only yield, result in evil. So, remember, there's no need for us as righteous people to scheme and connive like, we, like they do, because the meek shall inherit the earth. "'Blessed are the meek,' Jesus said, "'for they shall inherit the earth.'" The Apostle Paul was amazing about this, because he certainly had certain rights of his that were denied him. He was imprisoned. He had experienced a lot of injustice. Uh, he was abandoned even by his friends, and he was able to yet write to Timothy at the end of his life, Alexander the metal worker did me great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done." Or in Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 18, "...the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen." So, if you think about the greatest thing that someone in an agrarian society in ancient times could ever hope for, that would be to inherit their land and to enjoy the abundance of the land. And the Bible tells us that the meek will inherit the land. Well, even if, especially since we know that the, the earth and the heavens will be renewed one day, that even though we might inherit something that's earthly, we know that there's a much more precious and lasting inheritance that we have in heaven. So, the prosperity of the evil, evildoer may seem unfair or unjust, but remember it's only as temporary as the earth is. And knowing that we have something much greater, much better to inherit in the future kingdom, then we can be still and wait that little while. So, don't be envious, don't get angry, and then here's the next thing not to do. Verse 12, the wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for He knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those who are whose ways are upright, but their swords will pierce their own hearts, And their bows will be broken. The very end, or towards the end of the chapter, verse thirty-two: the law, his God is uh, the wicked will lie in wait for the righteous, seeking their very lives. But the Lord will not leave them in their power, or let them be condemned when brought to trial. Sometimes, when we see evildoers prospering, we despair. We think, will it ever change? Will God ever step in to do something? They go on and hurt the righteous. They take advantage of the poor. They devise plans and activities intentionally to hurt the righteous. Now, I know that no one is actually innocent. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is truly innocent of all sin, but we do often see that people become targets of evildoers even though those people, those righteous ones, were never really um, had anything to do with what the evildoers trying to fight. So, we have children who are gunned down in schools by gunmen who have some grievance against parents or teachers or some other member of society, and then the, the, ch- the, the children, the innocent ones, are the ones affected by it, or mall shoppers and moviegoers attacked by terrorists who are fighting some political or religious war. Well, in David's day, there would have been similar acts of violence and murder against those who were not being unrighteous or evil in any particular way, well, their schemes were intended to hurt the righteous and to deliberately hurt the poor. Why the poor? Because they're easy targets. They have no way to retaliate. They, don't, they can't afford the bribes that the rich people can afford. So, the rich people can bribe judges and officials to buy up the land of the poor. And slavery is still alive and well today with human trafficking still being prevalent and bonded labor still existing. But all of this to remind us, that God is still fully aware of all of such activity. And judgment will come. He will come to judge the guilty and vindicate the innocent. And God mocks their attempts, much like an older person today could mock the folly of a young person. So, you and I, even though we're not perfectly righteous, we're trying to live the righteous life, we're trying to do God's will, we might have our goods stolen, we might have our rights violated, we might have our reputation soiled, But we are assured that God will vindicate us if we are truly innocent. We need to keep a good conscience before God, let God take care of our reputation. And even though we're hard pressed, Paul says, we're not crushed. Even though we're perplexed, we're not in despair. Even though we may be persecuted, we're not abandoned, or we might be struck down but not destroyed. So judgment for them may not come in this lifetime, even though we wish it would, but it will most certainly come in the end. So, one of the things that I oftentimes remember is that I am thankful that God doesn't judge me immediately. I'm not perfect. I have sin in my life, but I'm thankful that God doesn't immediately come on down, come down uh, with me on, on, with judgment, but allows me the opportunity as well to repent and confess my sins. Well, the fourth thing now, when evildoers prosper, another tendency for us is to say, well, if they're able to do it, then why don't I do it? And then we lower ourselves to their standard. Look at verse 21 as it reminds us that the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land, but those He curses will be cut off. If the Lord delights in a man's way, He makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with His hand. I was young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be blessed. So he's reminding us, even though the the uh, evildoer will do all these things to borrow and not repay, let us not become that way ourselves. Let us still give generously. You know, some people have an extravagant lifestyle, but it's all financed by debt. And then if they can't pay it off, well, then they just declare their bankruptcy. Well, that's a pretty nice way to live. Why don't we do that? Well, because the Lord has shown us that he will be the one who delights in our ways and makes our steps firm. We should not act the way they do. We should instead give generously and do good because he will take care of those who are righteous. So, show mercy by giving your abundance to those in need. Don't exploit the needy. We should leave our sinful ways. We should keep our tongue from evil, and God will assure us of happiness, and comfort, He will bless us, He will direct our actions, He will keep us from ruin, He will provide for our daily necessities, He will not desert us but protect us, and He will provide a secure place. As the Bible tells us, do not overcome or do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So ultimately, all this boils down to these things, to trust in the Lord and then to wait on Him. You know, you just have to simply trust that God is wise and sovereign. When you know someone who knows a lot about something, you trust their judgment, right? You're buying a new car, you talk to a friend who knows all about cars. You want to invest some money in uh, in stocks, you talk to someone who knows all about stocks and the economy, right? Well, why not ask God, who has all knowledge and wisdom, do you realize that God even knows things like how quick a wink is? He knows how hard a nail is. He knows how much tea there is in China. He knows how old the hills are. Yes, His knowledge is so vast, He even knows the stars by name. And He's attentive, not only just to us, but even the sparrow. He will never put us in a situation that's not, that is more than we can handle together with Him. So we are instead to delight in Him, to enjoy the desires that He grants us. It's interesting how we don't usually associate the word delight with matters of faith. because usually delight and pleasure we associate with physical things, physical pleasures like sex or food, and we usually think that the things that will make us happy are material things. But enjoyment, real enjoyment and real pleasure comes from the Lord and our relationship with Him, I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He says, "'The thought of delight in religion is so strange to most men that no two words in their language stand further apart than holiness and delight. But believers who know Christ understand that delight and faith are so blessedly united. They who love God with all their hearts find that His ways are ways of pleasantness and all His paths are peace? No, our piety is our pleasure, our hope is our happiness, and our duty is our delight. So rather than us pursuing the things we think will make us happy, just as David says in Psalm 37, that we should delight ourselves in the Lord, to commit our ways to Him, and He will give us the desires of our heart. So in the meantime, we trust Him by maintaining our pattern of likeness. We remain resolved to do the right things, and as we take our actions, we commit them to the Lord. Well, not only does trusting have to happen, but trusting comes with waiting. I know you don't like to hear this, I know you wish that you could always have something instantly, but friends, we have to sometimes wait. And unfortunately, we live in a society where we're so used to instant, right? We have instant noodles, we have instant messaging, um, we have instant credit, instant gratification, instant access, instant pictures, and so we expect that whatever we do for God, we have instant results. Well, friends, when you trust in the Lord, you have to expect to wait upon Him as well. These results won't come immediately. Don't expect to be vindicated as soon as your actions are known. Don't expect public recognition for your faithfulness. It may not happen in this lifetime. And don't expect the situation to be resolved over the next two days. That only happens in movies, you know, they have to resolve the situation within an hour and a half, right, or else we'll get bored. The movie's over. That's not how it is in real life, and when you consider the Scriptures and the people of God in the Scriptures, some of them had to wait years, even centuries, before some of these promises were finally fulfilled. So all that to say, Psalm 37 truly is packed with all kinds of instruction and wisdom whenever you see evil people prospering. Just pick any one of these stanzas to dwell on them. Instead of fretting, being envious, condescending to their standards. Or even being, um, or instead of uh, doing all of those things and uh, doing evil, make sure that you do good instead. Don't despair. Don't compromise. Don't get angry. So, why do the good things happen to evil people? You know, that's going to be the age old question. We can't always answer that question. We might not be given the answer to that question, but in the meantime, we know what we're not supposed to do and we know what we are supposed to do, to trust Him and wait for His justice even though we don't know why they continue to prosper. Let us pray. Our God in heaven, it is so good to know the truth. It is so good to know that the truth will set us free, free from the bondage of anger and frustration, free from the bondage of envy and despair, and even free from becoming like the evildoer. And so, Father, we just pray that we, as Your people, would learn to trust You and learn also to wait, to commit ourselves to You and our ways, and to wait for You to produce the results that we long for. We know that You are a just and holy God. We thank You that You have also forgiven us and that You sent Your Son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. That is the hope we long to give to people, especially for those who do evil. In Christ's name, amen. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBCCPH. Thank you for listening.